Welcome to a Black Movie Podcast, where we celebrate Black culture through its cinema by reviewing and discussing Black-led films from a range of different genres and time periods. My name is James, and I'm joined by... Andre. Lauren. And howdy, y'all. Ryan. Today, we're talking about uh, the Netflix movie, The Harder They Fall. I'm going to give you a little bit of info just about the movie, then we'll go around and hear uh, what people thought uh and we're gonna get into spoilers pretty early i think so we're gonna give top level thoughts uh and then uh switch over to spoilers so uh first the harder they fall is a black western directed by james samuel it did launch in theaters with like a super limited release earlier this year in october and then launched on netflix november 3rd uh this movie has a cast that is like honestly insane and we're going to go through a couple of the characters uh, a little bit later but uh jonathan majors idris elba sassy beats regina king lakeith stanfield dion cole eddie gathegi danielle deadweiler and rg seiler make up the majority of the main characters and really just like everybody in this movie is brilliant um so uh, i want to go around starting with ryan to sort of hear what you uh, thought about the movie Sure. Um, I did my best to not look too much at preview information for this, knowing that we were going to record it. And I was kind of blown away. I I really loved this, in part because I'm a sucker for movies that treat their soundtrack as part of the storytelling. And James Samuel, who I believe wrote, directed, and uh, produced the movie has a history as a songwriter and as a musician. And it really shows like, I I found myself like really vibing with a lot of the music that they used in the movie. I thought that there were a number of just absolutely like really stellar shots that made me like pause and rewind, which being a Netflix movie, something I can do without, you know, feeling guilty. And, uh, but overall it was uh, just a really solid Western. It did all the things that I want a Western movie to do. And it had excellent performances from a bunch of my favorite actors and actresses. And I am increasingly, I'm increasingly becoming a member of the Jonathan Majors fan club. And I will probably just start watching anything that he's in with no questions asked. What about you, Andre? Uh, yeah, I just want to start out right now. So I am a Jonathan Majors fanboy now, especially after finishing Loki. Um, I've, I was always on the Lakeith Stanfield fanboy and in that fan club. And then RJ Seiler can do no wrong since he played in the Power Rangers movie. So this was a big fanboy experience for me, this movie. And, um, it was just a ton of fun. Quality of the movie, meh, but it was just a really fun ride. I'll pass that off to Lauren now. Yeah, I'm with Andre. I didn't think this was a good movie, but I thought it was a good time. Right. Which is actually all I really want out of a Western most of the time. Anyway, there are some Westerns that kind of elevate the genre and cinema as a whole. Very few of them, but they exist. This is not one of those. This is right. Like this is like the the soda pop of the Western world. And that's exactly what I'm looking for. It's just a good shoot 'em up. The plot doesn't make a lot of sense, but the spectacle is amazing. And the soundtrack to ryan's point is like otherworldly good it's just delightful uh in the way it's integrated into the film and the acting is on point with like a bunch of my favorite actors many of whom we've all noted but i will also say i also like i have a soft spot in my heart for delroy lindo basically he just reminds me of one of my uncles 
Uh, I love Dion Cole for no particular reason whatsoever. It just has a lot of swag. Idris Elba is basically a god walking the earth as far as I'm concerned. And Regina King is basically the goddess. Beginning and end, the uh, Alpha and Omega, she is literally my everything. And I love her in this film. And so I do recommend like just kind of like losing yourself in it and forget the fact that it's cheesy and some of it doesn't really make sense uh, and all that. Like just kind of like enjoy yourself and let loose. It's kind of an indulgence. So I'm really interested to hear more from Lauren and Andre because uh, not only do I love this movie, just like straight up love this movie. It's without question my favorite movie we've watched this season. Uh, and we have about another half of the season left, and I'm not anticipating, based on what I know, that it's going to get topped. I think that this movie doesn't completely make sense. That may be true. And and I can't really say how it compares to Westerns in general. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about its place in like the Western pantheon and, and, and talk a little about it, about it in comparison to another Western we listened to or watched this season. But for me, like... Going into this movie, it starts in a way I didn't expect. It ended up being a movie that I didn't really expect because I only saw one trailer and decided, all right, I'm not going to read anything more about this. So I had literally no idea what this movie really was other than the cast. And I left with just about the biggest smile on my face. I mean, considering the events of the movie, maybe not like a smile of complete happiness, but like a, a, a smile of pure enjoyment as I sort of sat through this movie. The soundtrack, as Ryan mentioned, is just stupid. One of my notes was, did this soundtrack need to go this hard? It didn't, but it did anyways. So I do, I mentioned we're going to get into spoilers because like there are things to spoil in this movie. So if you haven't watched it and you're curious, just like go to Netflix and watch it. It is very long. Um, It's like two and a half hours long, two hours and 40 minutes, something like that. So pause right now. Go sign up for a free trial or sign into your mom or your 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 spouse or your roommate's Netflix and watch this movie uh, and then come back and we're going to talk about the rest. All right. Now that all those folks are gone, let's sort of get into what happens in this movie or really how this movie starts, because this movie starts and ends up being a different kind of movie than I expected. This movie starts with. Us being introduced to a black family in the frontier and Idris Elba just coming in and wrecking shop. And I didn't realize that this was a revenge movie, which is the thing I I like generally. But I kind of expected this to be maybe a more traditional, like westerny, adventure kind of thing. I wasn't really sure. I didn't I didn't coming off of Posse, which we watched earlier this season. I didn't really know what to expect. And so this kind of took me by surprise starting out. Yeah, this one. Um, yeah, the opening scene was. Uh, was uh, was something <laughs> I'm trying to say without like actually saying the events that happened uh, in case we still have some people just kind of I want to listen to the episode. Um, I don't care about spoilers. If you if you're I want to listen to this episode, I'm not going to watch this movie. Or I, I want to listen to it anyways, even without spoilers. Get that thought out of your mind right now. We're going to be spoiling this movie. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. So for uh, Idris, I want to come in and just kind of like kill everybody. 
that was very like shocking start um and then just kind of knowing the genre a little bit it's just like oh yeah this, that kid's gonna grow up and go after him <laughs> uh but yeah no that scene was it's hard to put a it's hard for me to put to describe it uh right now so i'll have to pass it on but yeah that scene that scene was uh very very shocking to start yeah i'll jump in on that scene because i honestly think that the one thing this movie does really well is the way that it positions Idris Elba, who is the antagonist in the film, but kind of an anti-antagonist in a way. Like, he's so badass, I'm rooting for him anyway, in a, in a certain way. But he, he exudes this, like, presence in the film. Uh, you don't see his face for, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie. He's constantly referenced... He's the focal point, but you don't see him. Even that opening scene when he comes into the family's homestead and he murders the parents and like carves a cross into the kid's head, which is just like utterly shocking and just sort of very jarring. And you know this is not the typical movie, but also to Andre's point, you know this is a revenge movie. It's gonna be a cowboy revenge movie, and you're prepared for it. It's the cinematography is just kind of so lush in that scene. And Idris Elba just sort of like is so menacing without really saying a lot or even being able to see his face. It's honestly super powerful. It does help you also get a sense as to why Nat, Love, the main character, has this fear of him, basically. Or why in like an immediately follow-on scene, his crew, led by Regina King's character, uh, basically like that whole scene is amazing where they essentially like board his train or he's being uh he's not he's a prisoner being transported and they murder everyone on board the train basically um and he walks and they say that he's been freed and he walks out of like the cell on the train and sort of emerges from the darkness and then there's idris elba like the whole thing adds this grand mystique this famed sort of character even though I think he's actually one of the few characters in the film that isn't based on anybody. But he develops his own mythology. Wait, who? Right, Idris Elba's character. Oh, no, he was based on someone, a real was person. Was he? Yeah, Who Rufus was he based Buck, on? Buck was a real person. A real person named Rufus Butt. Uh, yeah, so I have that too. Uh, and and there's a really good article on Essence that goes through who everybody was and like who if they were a real person. But Rufus Buck was a real person. Um, he was a leader of a gang named the Rufus Buck Gang. They were basically like mixed race teenagers that just like wrecked shop in Oklahoma. They, according to the articles I was able to find, basically like committed every kind of crime you could think that someone could commit in 1895 and eventually were captured and hanged in 1896. But like he was a real dude and it seemed like you know, obviously the age difference and maybe like the long term goals of movie Rufus Buck and real life Rufus Buck may not have aligned. But otherwise, like seems like their reputation was kind of spot on. Yeah, the 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 camera, the cinematography in this movie knows what it has in Idris Elba um, in a way that like like there there is a deep respect for the gravitas that he has on set. And I really love the way that they just kind of worked around it constantly that that initial scene. Like before he goes and murders those people, it's a great piece of tone setting because you don't know exactly how hard the movie's gonna go, how heavy 
is going to be, you know, it's a Western, there's going to be people shot, but we just saw a posse where it could be, you know, I'm going to ride through town with a piece of lit dynamite in my teeth kind of thing, or is this going to be gritty, realistic, you know, 310 to Yuma kind of Western. And he sits down at their dinner table and he sits both of his golden revolvers down on either side of the table. And I swore that, like, I, I honestly thought that Idris Elba was about to eat the big piece of chicken and go, like, this is my house. This is my big piece of chicken. And, you know, with uh, Nat Lowe's father, who he kills, as well as Nat's mother, you're never sure whether um, a Western will, will show violence against women specifically like from male characters so that was a shock the father was a was a priest and that's often one of the like one of the one of the more protected classes in western movies so it's starting off in the first five minutes by saying nothing is sacred we will do all these things we will even do it in front of your chicken uh and and like i i just really loved it from there but i think that using the fact that it just is so irresistible to the camera and the way that they place him and they, and they light him in those scenes really just draws you to him and through whatever else the rest of the scene wants to do. There were a lot of really cool shots in this movie, just really taking advantage of that. Like a number of like really long dolly shots of, uh, Nat Love, Jonathan Major's character, our protagonist looking at Idris from across like 300 yards and him just being like a small, barely a silhouette in the window, but you can tell just by how he's standing and how powerful it is. The kind of control he has over the town, just really brilliant stuff. Yeah, I think the way that they sort of mythologized and portrayed Rufus Buck was so cool. Like, in a lot of movies, the villain or the antagonist, you know, is evil or just, like, is a bad person or or whatever. And... For Rufus Buck, like, even early, you not maybe this scene, but in other scenes where he appears, you get the sense that, like, he's more of a force of nature and less like an evil person. Like, him just existing in a space means that everything in that space needs to pay attention and move around him. And I think they did a great job of, like, sort of setting that up, setting up his approach, his freedom on the train, setting up the way he works in the town. I think that makes him super compelling as a character. And the fact that, like, as much as he was kind of a dick, he still had some, what I would consider, fairly noble goals that he wanted to accomplish. It just, you know, he just killed everybody who was in between him and that goal. So you could debate whether or not that's noble in and of itself. That makes me very scared since we all work together. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I like, I I think that there were like, one of the interesting things with all the, you know, the amazing black actors in this movie um, meant that there is like pairings that have already worked together and their chemistry, the movie allowed for their chemistry to kind of come out a bit. I I wish I would have seen like more between like uh, Zazie Betts and, uh, who I adore and Lakeith Stanfield, who is hilarious in everything he's in, whether it's supposed to be hilarious or not. And I love Lakeith because he's not possible to like categorize. And if it's possible to be typecast as being weird, 
without being technically typecast, he somehow pulls it off. There are a lot of just real, like, funny moments uh, in this. There was, like, random lines of, um, I want to say the, like, he, that when they were on the train breaking Rufus Buck out of jail, uh, I'm sorry, out of, out of his, like, prison cell. And this prison cell was, like, a gigantic iron, like, you know, iron box kind of thing on, on top of a, a whole regiment of soldiers. Um, it was absolutely, you know, ridiculous. But he says, you know, you're going to let us off Dread Scott free. And I was like, this is really dumb. And I, and I still laughed. <laughs> Cause like, what are we even like doing with this? Like Delroy has a line in here that I wrote down because I actually laughed out loud, which I don't do in movies that often. Everyone's so scared of Idris Elba's characters, Rufus Buck. And they go like, well, you know, they call that man, the devil and Delroy Lindo, who's playing, uh, playing uh, Bass, the um, first black uh, U.S. Marshal, says, he's just a man. Rufus Buck is not the devil. I, I've met the devil. He's white. And I, like... And the characters on the on the screen also laughed. And, like, I felt like... I don't even know if that was part of the script. I, I, I honestly think that was probably just a contemporaneous laugh because his delivery for that was, like, absolutely perfect. And, and it made every other portion of... Uh, Del- Delroy had like a really uh, understated, brilliant performance, like usual. But I feel like his presence there and his like recognizing that like he is a man like any other. He he is not bought into the mythology like everyone else on screen. That humor really helped punctuate it, and like it kept coming back whenever people would you know get too worked up about having to deal with the Rufus Buck gang. The use of comedy in this movie is really interesting. And I I mentioned earlier that I'm not super into Westerns, so I don't really know if this is common. But in the handful of Westerns that I've seen, I never really felt that they were funny. Uh, But this movie, like as serious as it is and as much, quote unquote, drama that happens in the movie, like it is very funny. There's funny. Almost every character gets something funny that they say. Sometimes it's just because the the line is ridiculous, but the delivery is like the perfect way to deliver this ridiculous line in in this situation. Or sometimes it's stuff like lightning with the blam blams, which I wrote down and just like, I don't know how I'm going to use this in my regular life, but like I got to figure out a way too because it, it, I feel like it needs to live on past the two and a half hours I spent in this movie. So I know, Lauren, you're really into Westerns in general. Like, is that common in Westerns to be funny? Yeah, I mean, not every single kind of Western, but it is a pretty common thing in like spaghetti Westerns and other kinds of other versions of the genre to have like witty rejoinders, basically, that get tossed back and forth, usually by the good guy and occasionally by the bad guy. And this movie I would describe as being an homage because it's pulling stuff from lots of different Westerns. It's pulling from like The Quick and the Dead. It's pulling from The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. It's pulling from Outlaw Josie Wales. It's pulling from lots of different Westerns. It really is. An, it's almost like a Tarantino-esque homage to other films. So there's actually a lot throughout the, the film itself that is a direct callback to the genre itself. And to, But to some extent, it's like they turned the dial up to 11 in some ways, right? Like they've overly stylized things and they gave everybody a witty remark as opposed to just a handful of them. But that sort of helps offset the tension that this movie tries and does, I think, successfully like rack up with like the opening scene, the uh, uh, unveiling of Rufus Buck, the interactions between some of the characters, like later on when Desi Beat's character gets kidnapped for instance, and there's like 
more uncomfortable scenes where she's being beaten up or like you're you're amping up for the, the big fight at the end. The humor helps offset like those moments of tension in the movie. So that's usually why it's there. Um, similar to how you would use that in, in horror movies. But I also think there's a certain like level of just pure joy that existed on this set of being an all black Western that you also clearly saw in Posse. And that I think just exists for like uh, almost all black cast doing a movie like this together. I imagine is actually so much like fun that it just exudes on the screen. And it, like it may, I fault it too. Like that's the reason this is a fun movie is because like they're really enjoying it. And so I'm really enjoying it. And so, like, they're even wittier and funnier than they might be otherwise, if that makes sense, right? Like, I'm, there's a total shine happening for a lot of the, like, one-off comments in this movie uh, that I fully recognize, but I'm, I'm here for it because it does totally work together as a package. I want to go off one thing you mentioned about the almost all-black cast in this movie. So, I mentioned I didn't really know that much about this movie going in. So, as I'm watching the movie... I started to think to myself, oh, this movie might literally be an all-black cast. Like, it it may only have black characters in minor and major roles. And that w- was really interesting and, like, enticing to me to, to be able to see a movie that's constructed in this way. And then we get to the scene that, that does have white people in the white town, which was just, like, perfect. The way it was, like, it shot and looked, there's only two of our characters that interact with anybody in this town and like the stark contrast of what would be maybe the typical cast in a Western or even in like a a modern movie versus the way um, that this movie was cast made that scene stand out so much that like it was borderline like ridiculous maybe not even borderline. It may have just been ridiculous, but I love everything that sort of happens in that scene uh, but I, I did think it not necessarily took away from the movie, but was an interesting choice to go probably two hours almost without having any white people in this movie. You're forgetting the train scene, too. Oh, I am forgetting oh, yeah. the train scene. Yeah. 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 I forgot because all of them got murdered. But she, not all. Except for the little kid. <laughs> the, let go. The, the the kid smartly raised his hand and he was like, I can figure out how to how to drive a train. I probably don't actually know, but I can read the writing on the wall um better than my dumbass dad. No, I, I thought that the you know, the scene with them going into the white town, going up and doing the I'd like to make a draw bank robbery is like also very classic. But doing it with that racial context, you know, just brought a whole lot extra. Having them uh laugh at Cuffy and the long what felt like a very long time of her trying to roll her uncomfortable skirt up um, to pull out her revolver like normal was like, uh, it was so good. And then it was like the, my partner doesn't want to kill anybody, but I'm feeling like it. So I need you all to move. <laughs> like, you know, cause you laughed at me when I came in here and you told me I should go try that bank over in one of those black towns. But also like, I mean, even just the set design in the white town, like everything was, it was real shiplap, <laughs> almost. It was a lot of like distress. Everything was painted white. Everything was. Everyone was wearing blues and browns. And uh, Jonathan Majors and um, oh goodness, I'm forgetting uh, uh, the actress's name. Danielle was it? Danielle Deadweiler. Uh, yeah, Danielle Deadweiler, uh, who was also in uh, Watchmen, are there in like bright red as part of their things. And 
you know, we know that part of their job was to draw attention to the name Nat Love and for, and for this job, but visually it just reminded you of how vibrant they made Redwood, the black town that is at the center of a bunch of those discussions uh, and the, the, the storyline, the second half of the movie to this other town. It was a really nice way of just kind of highlighting that the focus is not here in, in a way that was like really interesting to me. See, I didn't take it as that. I took it more of as their presence sticks out a lot more in this town. Like they're not supposed to be here. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I took that one where, um, where it's like one of these things is not like the other. And we're going to spell it out for you that, yeah, like they don't, they don't belong. And this is uncommon. And everyone is looking at them to cause trouble. Which was true then and true today. Unfortunately. Yeah. There's, there's still a lot of those, like, I mean, hell, there's still a lot of towns around here that I don't like being in after sunset. There's a whole database. During of, the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I go out and take pictures and, definitely have like my mental list of where is okay to actually go when there's people around but like but yeah like in the in this movie i thought that there was some interesting discussions around what was coming that was driving the pressure of the story like the like you know the territory being opened up for expansion is a really good and common western plot we're usually seeing things a little further along in the process like in posse or in other movies where someone has come to take the land. This was really there in the background. It really was just, you know, we needed to have more reasons to make us think about all the things that Rufus Buck is aiming to do outside of the revenge plot that is driving, you know, our ragtag group of heroes. Because I think that the the, the big reveal of the relationship between uh, Rufus and Nat at the end, I felt like was extra effective because the movie had me paying attention to all these other things that Rufus was working about or caring about. You know, the relationship between him and Trudy was something that, like, I, I had spent a bunch of time thinking about. The movie had you prepared for an eventual shootout between <laughs> Cherokee Bill and uh, Wild Bill Pickett. Uh, or sorry, no, it wasn't Pickett. It was um, the... Uh, Jim Be Beckworth, Beckworth yeah. Um, Cherokee Bill. Uh, yeah, preparing you for that you know, for those things like there, there were Chekhov's guns everywhere for all sorts of things that you knew had to happen. And as you're looking for them and as the movie teases you and pulls back out, uh, pulls back up out away from those. I wasn't thinking too hard about that initial plot. I guess well, I guess what the relationship was going to be really early, but I didn't have time to think about it because it gave me other motivations and other things to care about for um, for Rufus, which I did appreciate. I actually didn't guess it. I, I did once we started getting closer to the end and, and I was like, oh, wait, there's probably going to be more to this story than what they presented. But I think they did such a good job of defining Rufus by everything else in his life that was going on that it didn't even make me suspect that they were there was some ulterior motive there. I kind of thought that, um, you know, what we were going to find out is that maybe um Nat Love's parents like stole some money from him. There, there was a lot of conversation in this movie about money and needing money to build this town. And so I kind of thought that like we would circle back around to it in relation to the town. And what we ended up actually getting maybe didn't come from nowhere, but I think the characters were so rich from other things 
that like I just didn't even try to piece that together. Yeah, I realized like their relationship by the time they got to their standoff together at the end. Uh, but not so much before that, because there was a lot going on. This is where I think the movie fell flat for me or fell short for me. It's that there were so many things going on, but they weren't really well explained or executed in their presentation on screen. So a lot of time I'm like, what's happening? And why is this happening in this order? Like the, the plot and the writing just wasn't very tight around that. And to some extent, like I could see a, maybe a broader, a broader allegory here around like you've got this black town that's that's thriving, but like has this looming threat of essentially like the white population closing in. We all know what happens like historically after that, right? Those black towns get burned to the ground, basically, um, and the best of times. And they have that going on. You've got Rufus, who's sort of like caretaker of this town and cares about it and is trying to keep it safe, but is also ruthless in the way he does that. Uh, like he murders like that one guy that kind of disagrees with him a little bit, which sort of like adds to his complexity. But then you have like You, this... sir, an enemy of progress. Like cheese, <laughs> <laughs> like 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 I mean like he murdered a guy for essentially saying like well, gee, I don't know if I want to be in this town anymore. Maybe I'll move back later. Right. You're not if you're not with us, you're against us, is basically Rufus's take on things. And then you have like but then you have like his fight with Nat Love, which didn't make a lot of sense in some ways. Like you knew what Nat had out for him, but like the back and forth between their groups, I think, was muddy in a lot of ways. And not entirely clear. And that they could have done a much better job at actually like streamlining the plot. And creating this this broader allegory where you've got, again, the bigger looming threat out there, but then folks are so fixated on fighting each other, right? Uh, even to the point where what happens is that a brother kills another brother. Despite, like, their, his deadbeat dad. Which feels like a weird and slightly overdone trope in a lot of ways. Uh, whenever folks talk about, like, Black culture and Black allegories in movies. But that's essentially what, what we got. But, like, the story overlaying that is so convoluted that it was really kind of challenging to actually just truly appreciate what might have been a better narrative in a lot of ways. It's funny listening to everyone just kind of drop all these great takes about the end. And I'm just thinking about that moment of Nat and uh, and uh, Rufus just in that room and just thinking, like, I've never been so disappointed by exposition in my life. like. This could have been just like we had this great fist fight between uh was it Mary Fields and uh what was uh Virginia King's character Trudy? Like we had this great brawl between the two of them. We had this great shootout shootout outside with uh uh Bass and and uh Bill and Nat just kind of going at the entire Rufus Buck gang essentially. Like, we had this great, you know, it's like the action is building and building. Now we're about to get this great, like, close quarter shootout and exposition. And just caused everything for me to go to, like, a screeching halt. And I immediately stopped caring about this movie for, like, 10 minutes. See, I, like, got really excited when, um, like, the exposition I, I knew was going to be overdone. I thought that they could have shown some of that stuff in flashback a little better. Um, rather than just having him talk and, you know... This is very much a case of the camera being in love with Jonathan Majors and wanting to see him react to this stuff. Um, and I get it. But, like, there was definitely a better way to do it. 
However, the exposition aside, um, him standing up and walking towards uh, towards Nat Love slowly, on the ground, going like, "You're a buck, Nathaniel Buck. Take your revenge, Nathaniel Buck. Take your revenge." Was so fucking good. That was like, I mean, that was visceral and menacing in the way that it just was the whole movie. And, you know, we end up with the, the, a bunch of tropey, you know, holding someone while you shoot them kind of, uh, resolution at the end. But that moment was special. So, like, yeah, I, I think that I, I, I very much love the cadence and delivery of that line so much that it, it obscured how much I felt like that exposition at the end was super clumsy. God, it was good. It was so good. Yeah, I, I think I fall between Andre and Ryan on this point. I, I think that last little bit, basically all the stuff that was those two characters actually interacting with each other was really, really interesting. But the way that this backstory was delivered, I think was not great. I think it could have been more interesting if it was delivered in a different manner. And I also think that some of the anticipation that had been built up about this confrontation between Nat and Rufus could have been handled a little bit better if they had had more scenes together. So if I remember correctly, I think they have that scene together and then they have one other scene together a little bit earlier in the movie when Rufus tells Nat to go rob the the white town and he's like kind of beat, been caught and beaten up. I wish that first scene was Nat sort of getting his ass handed to him by Rufus, which would have given them more opportunity to sort of interact. It would have released a little bit of the tension that had been built up between the two of these men. And then at the end, I think it would have been if it would have felt not as bad to have them not have a huge shootout at the end. I do think that the reveal is very Luke, I'm your father, honestly, but like from the like slightly tired, it's been done perspective. Here's what I kind of wish. I wish that this had not been a movie and that this had been a TV show because I agree with James. There needed to be more airtime between Rufus and Nat. You needed to build up their relationship more than just that intro scene uh, and explore them as adults who are more equally matched than like, you know, adult man sort of like uh, tormenting a, a small child. Uh, right. You need to see that evolve for anything else to have had more impact. They didn't get a chance to do that. And you're not going to do that. Like this movie did not need to be any longer. This movie was more than long enough. It probably could have cut out 10 minutes somewhere and <laughs> been all the better for it. But in a like a TV show, you could have you could have gone deeper into this world, which I do like the world they were setting up. I would have liked to actually explore all of these characters backstories. Treacherous Trudy, for instance, I would like a prequel. Uh, for her and Rufus's time together. Like, I will watch that. I want to know what, like, how how they came to find each other, how they got together. I want to watch their adventures. I want to watch them tormenting other people. It seems super fun, and I'm here for it. And I think we could have done that better in a different medium, like television than movie. Plus, a Black Western TV show would be amazing. Can you imagine how cool it would be to see, like, just Lakeith Stanfield scamming people out of duels? For like three seasons, I could watch that forever. Yeah, I, how the we heard a little bit about the history of the Nat Love Gang and like them 
falling apart and then having to be pulled back together, you know, towards the first quarter of the movie. But like being able to see that actually happen would have had so much more impact than sort of us being told that they were. I don't even remember if they were a ruthless gang, but were a gang and then split and then had to get back together to, you know, solve this bigger, bigger issue that they're currently facing. Yeah, man, like a miniseries or like a TV show. I'm all about it. Yeah, it'd have been amazing. Yeah, I, I, I got, I sit on the opposite side of that with you uh, than you guys. Um, I'm just like, dude, just simplify it. Let's get rid of the whole. But they're actually brothers. Like, let's get rid of all of that. Make it just a simple. He killed his family. Now he wants revenge. And there's the powder keg at the end. Uh, I, like, I just just simplify, just simplify it. And, you know, we have our whole, like, duel set up, and we can just, you know, just have fun at the end. Um, I, yeah, I, it wasn't, I didn't want more from this one. I just wanted simpler. <laughs> Not necessarily better, just simpler. Like, okay, no, you know, ex, you know, clumsy exposition at the end of the movie, just simple, like, action movie, western, just, you know, big gunfight at the end, tie everything up, and let's move on. I, I think that I would have been, like, I can see your point for simplification there. I, I feel like I want probably a little more of the depth. Like, the brother thing was fine for me because it was, yes, it was cliche. It was very tropey, but I also didn't mind it. What I did mind was that they didn't do enough to highlight why it was, um, like, like what could have been really interesting about it. The interesting thing to me was the parallels between Nat's life and, and uh, Rufus's life. And and seeing all these different ways together and having the context of them being brothers and pulled down the same path of revenge, that is like an element of the story that we got almost none of. But both of them are are in like complex love arrangements with saloon proprietors. Um both of them have, you know, similarly both of them did you know have five star um recruiting classes for their gangs with all the you know, appropriate positions filled. But the exposition where he talks about, you know, his father being killed and, uh, or sorry, not his father, but his father killing his mother uh, for Rufus and that driving him to revenge. If you remember the second scene of the movie, the first scene after we see Rufus, you know, kill Nat's parents and his Debbie father, the second scene we see is grown up Nat killing one of the men who helped him do it, who was now a man of the cloth and had gone good which is exactly the thing that his father had done. Like, there's really cool parallels in here that they could have, like, done more. Like, like James, the scriptwriter, clearly knew this is the kind of loop that he wanted to put, but he didn't stick the landing, and therefore a bunch of those things felt like either wasted time that could have been taken out and given back so I had more time for dinner, or things that should have been more critical to how those characters related to each other. Yeah, agreed. Because I think the counterpoint for you, Andre, is that this movie couldn't actually be simplified. And there's one very basic Western trope as to why. Everyone in this movie who wears a hat wears a black hat. Basic Westerns, like the old school classic Westerns that have that very simple formula of they just two you know main characters meet and shoot it out and whatnot, is based on the premise that one of those characters is fundamentally good. One of those characters is fundamentally bad. The simple story is that the good cowboy overcomes and kills the bad cowboy, saves the town. 
can't do that situation where everybody is bad and to some extent slightly good. And Westerns are very particular about how they portray who the good guy in a movie is by the very noticeable inclusion of a white hat or a light colored hat and a black hat. And in this case, everybody, like almost every single character in the show wears a, in the movie wears a hat and they're all wearing dark or black hats, which is a signifier of essentially every person's complexity, every person's guilt and complicity, every person's gray areas, every person's ability for good, but also for a lot of bad. And those can only be explored in more complex environments. But the movie should have done that in a different way. If you're going to introduce that kind of complexity, you should provide time to explore the world in which that complexity has to exist and thrive. That's, I think, one of the main places where this movie failed. That, and then like the convoluted script writing. And honestly, for me, also, Zazie Beetz was like the weak point of this film. She's fine herself, but stagecoach Mary is actually so awesome in real life, and none of that awesomeness translated to this character. I think it's more the depiction of the character than it is the actress. Uh, that's my only like nitpick about that particular piece. I, I would actually agree. Agree. I didn't know about Stagecoach Mary until I was researching this movie, but um, I would agree that like the second, maybe like the seventy-five percent mark of this movie. So not the last twenty-five percent, but like that middle section where she's captured. I felt like they didn't really know what they wanted to do with her. And so she didn't do anything cool. Like she was set up as like really awesome at the beginning. She makes what is arguably a pretty dumb decision. And then we just have to live with that dumb decision until she's later freed and then has the opportunity to interact with Trudy a little bit more. But like in between there, she kind of didn't really do much. And I feel like she didn't really have a lot of agency that the script provided her at that moment. Right. Cause the Western like, you know, tropes require a damsel in distress. So they made her that it doesn't really make sense to make her that. And the way in which they made her that it's like, okay, I don't, I don't know why we're here now, but here we are. So it was just a whole section of the movie you could cut out. And I think nothing would have been lost, honestly. I really recognize that technically you'd have to rewrite some of the motivations for what happens in the last shootout, like how they get to that point. Probably could be a pretty easy rewrite, though. Yeah, I don't think that would have been that hard. Speaking of real life, I did want to talk a little bit more about some of the uh, characters in this movie that are real people. Not everybody was a real person as far as I could tell, but a lot of them were, and much of their stories are very different. Um, but Stagecoach Mary, as Lauren mentioned, was very cool. She was a Postal Service route carrier in 1895. She was only the second woman to ever do this, and she was the first uh, black woman to ever do it. She basically protected the mail carriers from, like, thieves who were trying to deliver the mail. So she would ride with them and just deal with people, which is, like, pretty boss um, for a woman in that time period. She was also uh, previously a groundskeeper, but she was well known for being very volatile. And so she was eventually uh, removed from the church that she was the groundkeeper of. Uh, and then that's when she became a, a postal service route carrier. So like pretty, pretty legit. The other person I really wanted to call out, and this is just because he's technically from my hometown, even though. This was before uh, Nashville was really a thing. Is Nat Love? 
He was uh, born into slavery, but post-Civil War, he was freed and worked in and around Davidson County in Tennessee. He eventually raised enough money to uh, strike out on his own at 16 and eventually earned the name Deadwood Dick after winning a competition in the Dakota Territory that required contestants to rope, throw, tie brattles, and saddle a horse. Um, he won a bunch of money and eventually uh, got married and retired from being a cowboy and wrote uh, an autobiography called Life and Adventures of Nat Love, better known in the cattle country as Deadwood Dick by himself. I don't know if you can still find this book anywhere, but I just I thought that was super cool. Obviously, very different from the way he's portrayed in the movie. And, and many other characters have different stories. As I mentioned, there's a good essence article that goes through all of them. Um, sort of talks about uh, each person, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was pretty clever that they took real life people that didn't need to be real life people. Like they could have just made up every character, but then repositioned them into this new and sort of interesting story. Yeah, I actually like that they, to some extent, that they take real life characters because I think otherwise it's really easy for folks to assume that this is uh, honestly make believe. And while obviously it is, it's a fictional movie. With this movie, similar to what Posse was trying to do, is actually like bring attention to the fact that no, they're like cowboys are very much part of Black history. Black history, Black people are very much part of cowboy and Western history, and that gets overlooked a lot. So I think part of the reason folks bring in references and representations of real life characters is because we're trying to highlight that that's a part of it. We weren't someplace else when all this was happening. Many, many cowboys and, you know, Folks running around in Western towns were actually African-American to begin with. And we've just kind of forgotten their legends in the same way that we continuously build up the legends of white cowboys in lots of different ways, like Butch and Sundance, basically. So I do kind of like that. But what's challenging is that none of the representations, very like some of them get closer at matching their life personas. But I would also just love to see a more biographical, like movie around some of them right like the character cuffy the one played by danielle deadweiler is also a super awesome story right like she dressed up as a man to join the army she's basically like the black mulan um and ended up joining the buffalo soldiers as and staying on as like the only woman in their ranks at a time where this was basically unheard of and that's awesome no i i agree and um yeah uh cuffy was like some really um, unexpected. It was it was an unexpected bit of joy to have some queer rep inside this movie with Cuffy. I thought that like I I, w- I wasn't expecting it, but it was very happy because I didn't look didn't spoil myself on a ton of the the previews and trailers. But yeah, I, I thought that you know her experience in this movie was very much something that brought something different to that group and. Everything in this was just heavily foreshadowed as far as like how the story was going to unfold, like from the beginning. But I still, you know, did get to enjoy seeing, you know, the final shootout and, you know, seeing her get to be a badass in that way. And I mean, we get to see her as a badass in the beginning with the, the, <laughs> the brass knuckles, which, uh, was like just really underrated, uh, under, underrated fighting technique. But yeah, like I, I, Thinking back to what Lauren said earlier about uh, C.C. Betts' character, um, as Mary, yeah, Mary was just kind of 
kind of done wrong. Like the character was given no kind of intelligence to match her real life persona. And James was like, yeah, she made a kind of dumb decision. No, she made an incredibly dumb decision to the point where even in the in, in story, everyone's going like, why are you this stupid? Well, you know, like, how how could you be this dumb is what everybody is saying. And the fact that, like, nobody gets mad at her for being incredibly dumb and jeopardizing all of their lives and, like, all their plan is just pretty kind of the of the scriptwriter. Let's put it that way. And, you know, my my fervent hope is that in some future, uh, Zazie gets to play a character who doesn't have to just look sternly at an ancient man and, and just, you know, look disappointed off into the distance. She's very good at it. But at the same time, I hope that she finds just some sort of like her characters deserve some sort of stability <laughs> that she doesn't seem to be able to get. But like the only time she ever got anything close to that was Deadpool. There, there was a nice little reference to, uh, you know, she plays uh, Domino in uh, Deadpool two, right? Um, yep. And uh, and so the diamond pattern that's like the rhinestones on her face at the beginning looks like to me the 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 the, the pattern of Domino's, uh, you know, like like uh, uh, different color skin on her around her eye. Um, in the beginning of the movie, I thought that was a nice touch. There was there was just a whole lot of like, it, it, you know, like one of the things that I thought. Unlike Posse, which was a uh, let's all laugh at how ridiculous this is, and and we'll talk about it. we're never going to watch this again, um, at least not on purpose. I am looking forward to rewatching this because I saw so many like random little things that like made me want to go back and look for Easter eggs. The train that they you know pick uh, Rufus off, off off of is the C A Bozeman train. Like just lot. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cute stuff like that, and I'm a sucker for those. And um, apparently one of the things that I did read about this, uh, I don't know if it was in the S's article, if it was in one of the press junkets, but the the musical cues were actually written in the screenplay for this. They were, they were like in the script, which fits, you know, as we've all raved about the soundtrack. And so part of me wants to go back with, you know, a soundtrack, you know, look at some of those songs when I can you know, look back at their providence. There's a lot of reggae in here that's that's remixed to be Western in a really fun way. And part of me wants to just, you know, figure out if there's additional storytelling within the soundtrack that I missed on first listen. Yeah, I could definitely see rewatching this again. Maybe not all at once because it is pretty long, but um, going piece by piece and sort of looking back through certain scenes. I do want to talk a little bit about the comparison between Posse, which is a movie we watched. Um, this would be a couple episodes back now if you're listening to these in order. And I think it's so interesting how similar in sort of framing these two movies are, but how different they are in almost every other way that it was executed. Like, if we think about the plot to Posse, it's basically like black people wanted to create this town. And, like, the white people were going to come in and buy it. And the person who was leading the town was going to sell it to them and make a bunch of money. Um, And eventually, like, the hero returns to disrupt that setup. Um, Now, who the hero is in each story is a little bit different. And obviously, there's a lot more stuff going on in this. 
But it's just so interesting that like Bare Bones, they're kind of very similar movies. And if you listen to the Posse episode, I did like that movie. But now that I've seen this movie, I'm like, oh, this is like a good way you could do that. <laughs> so now I have no reason to ever go back and watch Posse. I think one of the things that stuck out to me from Posse was that other than just the overall quality of the movie was that, um, yeah, this one doesn't really have a protagonist. Like there's no clear hero or actually there's not really a hero, like the best character or the most, uh, the moral North is Delroy Lindo's character, uh, Bass. And he had a very minor role. <laughs> in the overall story of the of the movie so i thought that that was a really nice touch was to actually you know get a story that didn't have a clear protagonist had a clear antagonist but no real uh or antagonist is the wrong word it had a clear villain but they really didn't have a hero and i thought that was really interesting I want to say that uh, Bass was the inspiration for, like, real-life Bass was the inspiration for the Lone Ranger, right, Lauren? Yep. Isn't it funny how... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So that that that, that got a little uh, uh, whitewashed. A I'm little, really little. mad about <laughs> that now. Dark. Yeah. I did not know that. Holy cow, that would have been so cool. Well, that's the thing. It's like, again, the real-life people themselves are amazing. Uh, the opening scroll... No, this wasn't a scroll. The opening text of the movie says, like, this story is fictional, these people existed. And part of me really hopes that they can find ways to to really build upon the excitement for this kind of film, for these kind of stories, and to really like this this had a had a breadth approach to like we're gonna pile all these awesome black characters in together. And I want some depth. Like I wanna see some stories about individual in my in my heart of hearts i would love a true detect a true detective style uh series where like one season is on stagecoach mary and another season you know is on uh is on bass and another season is looking at like cherokee bill that would be a fun way to to do all of them to keep it in the same vein but also not like belabor the stories too much I don't really know that they do this anymore, but one thing that I think could be really cool is like a companion piece movie that Netflix produces that is sort of like a, and here's all the people from this movie that we produced and here's what they were in real life. And like, give you a little bit of that. I don't know that they would do it in a miniseries format, but like, I think it could be really interesting to take the excitement from this movie, which as far as I can tell, people are really into it. And turn that into, and ha- let's have the opportunity to highlight and talk about these people as they really existed. Because just from our conversation, there's a bunch of stuff that I learned that I didn't even read when I was looking up information about this movie that would be really cool to dig into more. Yeah, can I just take a second to make a plug that if Dream Samuel, the director, or Idris Elba, or Jonathan Majors, or any of the cast ever listened to this episode, and they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. We should do something that really helps bring more education to this, these historical figures. Please look us up. We will help you create whatever. I'm obligated uh, by the university to be like, we'll work with you to produce something that teaches people about <laughs> this history. Please find me on Twitter. Okay. I'm done.
Lauren, I was curious if there were other Black Westerns that, um, outside of the ones that we talked about, because I know we didn't mention as much. We were looking more about, about the black exploitation roots of Posse and not some of the other Black Westerns. I know that one of the ones that, like, I barely remember was, like, uh, Buck and the Preacher, which was a Sidney Poitier movie, which is the only reason why I remember it. It's like Sidney Poitier and, um, Blarg, uh, Harry Belafonte, uh, together in that movie. Um, but I, I don't know if there's others that are worth, uh, looking up if all of a sudden you've realized, like, hey, I actually really dig Black Westerns. So there's not really a lot. There's a couple of documentary style films about, like, Black cowboys in sort of the Black West. There's one that's, like, you can't really find anymore that started Bill Pickett in it. And there's one about, like, the rodeo and Black folks, like, um, role in that. There's, I think this director has another movie that's sort of a Black Western. But beyond that, like... They Die at Dawn? Yeah, that's the It's got a, um, what's her name in it? Erica Badu. Huh. Plays Stagecoach Mary. Huh. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it was a short film. Um, but besides that, I don't know of a lot of other ones. Like, it's just not a super common have it in the Idris Elba has a modern western and concrete cowboy that is very solid I will say so I'm I'm here for Idris Elba's descent into the cowboy genre I would like him to become basically our version of Clint Eastwood that would be great but without the senility and racism obviously yeah that part would be less good but um man Idris Elba so good like so good he's just He's so into, like, I'm just, Idris Elba in the movie, sign me up. I'm at least going to give it a shot. Speaking of which, I'm surprised he hasn't done a, a mixed martial arts movie. That's the one that surprises me from, from him. Simply because he does mixed martial arts in real life. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and, he, and he's had professional fights. So I'm kind of surprised he hasn't uh, decided to go that route with a few things. But I'm still on that Idris Elba, James Bond type of a deal where he gets to be that sort of not just like the big bruising or imposing figure, but like he actually get to uh, show a lot more suaveness, which everyone knows he has, by the way. Yeah, I would be. And do you think that. it's it was a major mistake to not just make him James Bond already? Like that should have happened years ago and it's a little too late now. But that's going to be one of like the biggest regrets of the movie industry is that they didn't take that opportunity i don't think it's too late i don't even care for him being the james bond i just want to see him in that as that sort of spy type of a character where he's able to actually navigate some of those same sort of rooms and things like that in a movie i think that would be interesting even though this conversation is taking us way off topic here i know and i will say agreed but then there's no way for that to not be just him playing the black James Bond character and to make that character like a separate thing in some ways. In a lot of ways, it'd be easier Fair. if they could just play Bond, who is essentially the standard we all have for spy movies. But yeah, get it. either way, he's very suave and he needs more movies where he can just be like Idris Elba. I assume how Idris Elba just naturally is at home, like just looking pretty fly. I hate myself for just thinking about this, but I, 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 need, I now need Mahershala Ali versus Idris Elba in the movie. I don't know if, the, like, I feel like the cameras would just, like, start smoking. They'd be like, we can't handle this. 
Can we include Jonathan Majors in that as well? Could they just be like a family of brothers? Could we re- just redo like the brothers or something with just them? And speaking of redo, like I, we mentioned that James Samuel, the director for this, also made They Die by Dawn with um, Erica Badu as Stagecoach Mary. I looked at the cast for this, and Bokeem Woodbine is Bill Pickett in this movie. The late uh, Michael K. Williams, uh, rest in power, uh, played Nat Love in that movie. Giancarlo Esposito was, I'm assuming, the villain. Uh, like I, I don't know anything about the story, but you know, just like I feel like, yeah, like it, it, that's that's a good a good guess. To be fair, his other type guess is scummy ally to the fair. good guy. Um, True, and, and uh, also there is. Um, Paul Dunbar in this movie is played by uh, a young man named Denzel Whitaker. And he is, yes, he is named after a Denzel Washington, but he is not actually the child of Forrest Whitaker. This sent me down a whole rabbit hole <laughs> because I was trying to figure out, oh my God, is there some, yeah. Also, David Banner is in this movie as like an actor. I, I really got to go back and watch this. Part of me wonders if this is going to be the situation where, like, this is the the unfinished version and then, like, Netflix paid him to redo it with, like, bigger money. And and we got the glow up version. Yeah. yeah like, I, I'm really wondering now. I haven't seen it, but I feel like that's probably right. Yeah. I mean, based on what you've described, I, I think that's a, a very fair assumption. Yeah. Vast Reese's in this movie, too. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of the same historical figures. Jim Beckworth is also in this movie. Yeah, Bill Pickett. Yeah. Like, I've got one book, and we're going to make it work. <laughs> well, then he's even more primed for a documentary about these characters because he's used them twice. So he must know something about them. You do the TV show again. There could be layers to this. Each time a little bit better. Also, can we just... I'm going to... I know, you know established universes is like an old trope and not an old trope, but it's a thing in movies now and it's sort of played out, but I would absolutely take like the extended universe of this movie and just have there be more characters. And we just spend more time in this like crazy stylish black Western universe. Like I'm putting that out of the world that I would go watch those movies. I just want that. We just need Marvel to give them even more money now. Make the black Western cinematic universe. And make this happen in a series of, I don't know, 32 movies and maybe 17 TV shows. Because equity. The Black Turtles. I want to be honest. I don't trust I don't trust Disney with all that power. <laughs> Fair point. How about HBO? We could get like a Game of Thrones style thing going for seven seasons. They have been, they have been signing all my favorite black writers. So like uh, Ash and Nicole Black just got a deal on deal with HBO and uh, HBO and Warner Brothers. So, hey, who knows? Well, anyways, as we're wrapping up, I want to get last thoughts uh, for the harder they fall from the team, uh, starting with you, Andre. Um, This was a fun one. I probably won't be rewatching this one anytime soon. It was like, for me, it was a good just kind of popcorn, sit down and chill and watch. But yeah, no, it was it was just a ton of fun just to watch all the shenanigans. And like, we didn't even get to some of the stuff with the comedians in this movie, uh, Damon Wayne Jr., and Dion Cole and some of the kind of messed up but also hilarious things that happen with their characters. 
Um, we didn't talk about the hilarious uh, interaction between Cherokee Bill and um, what was RJ Siler's character? Oh, Jim Beckworth. Like, we didn't talk about that one. Like, there's a lot more to this movie that we just didn't get to that just made for a ton of fun. What about you, Ryan? Last thoughts? My last thoughts were that um, I think that this is a pretty fun movie. And having a movie that is fun and competent um, is always worth doing, especially when it's in a realm where you don't get to see um, black actors as often. Um, like, I, I definitely think that there's a lot of things that I would tweak and change about about this, especially like the story. And we discussed at at length the ways in which it doesn't make sense or or where it leaves wanting. Um, but I, I, I always feel like if a piece of media gives me um, one or two moments that will stick with me, then it was worth watching. And I definitely got that out of this. So like, I'd recommend, you know, giving it a shot. It's two and a half hours. You could break it up. You can, you can definitely, you know, watch till um, Stage Coast Mary's capture. And then, <laughs> and, and then like watch the second half later and treat it like a, you know, to be continued that, I mean, hell, even that has like more closure than Dune did. And, uh, uh don't take these digs at that movie. I, I love that franchise. Okay. Sorry about that. So, sorry so, so, so do I, which is why I was like annoyed at how, how, where they decided to split it. But, uh, but yeah, like it, the movie was really fun. I thought that the performances themselves were the really special bits and the soundtrack for this is going to have some fun things in there. Um, I didn't hear D'Angelo on this one, but, People need to let D'Angelo make more Western, like Western music. He did a song for what was it? Uh, for uh, Red Dead Redemption Two. Wait, really? I, I think so. He did uh, that Unshaken song. Am I thinking of the wrong thing? No, you're right. I didn't. I haven't played that game. So yeah. Um. No, like D'Angelo doing Western stuff, like like in like that that like country Western mode. It's like actually fantastic, and it's just a good reminder that black folks. That folks rule everything that we actually come at with, like, with like, like, with our full talent. That like any anything, you know, can be made, um, obviously, you know, irrefutably black through either uncovering its history or through the way that we remix it. And this kind of had a bit of both. So like, I'm happy that we had a chance to cover it. Lauren, final thoughts. Final thoughts are pretty similar to my initial thoughts. I don't know that I would call this a good movie. I don't think it's quite at that level yet, but it is a really good time. And I recommend watching it at least once, maybe twice. And then at, and also not watching it on your phone, not watching it on your iPad. You need to find the biggest screen you can find and watch this on that. This is a movie where the spectacle is the point. You need to watch it on as big of a screen as you have access to. That's the side of your garage and a projector then your neighbors are just going to have to watch it with you uh, and go that route. But I do want to give like a particular call out. This is a theater style movie. So you need to be watching it in a place where you can actually truly appreciate the cinematography in this movie, which is excellent. Even if, in my opinion, the script is not as great as the cinematography. Um, and then after watching this movie, you should look up all of the historical characters that are referenced in it. You should order some books about them from your local black bookstore and you should actually just like read and enjoy those real stories too. So consider this a good gateway drug to like finding out more about a part of history that's really cool and often overlooked. 
Yeah, I still uh, stand by that this is my favorite movie of this season uh, so far. We're, we're eight episodes deep, and I just really, really enjoyed this movie. It was very fun. It illuminated me to a kind of movie that I didn't know I needed or wanted more of. And now, after, especially after our conversation, I'm going to dig in more into these people. I want to see more movies like this, so hopefully... Netflix or whoever sees money behind this movie and keeps making more things like this because just really, really enamored uh, by this movie. And I would agree with Lauren. Watch this on the biggest screen that you can. It's actually a little tragic that this wasn't released in theaters. I don't know exactly how the production of this came about. I don't know if this was a, you know, Netflix bought this movie after it was made or, or, or what the circumstance was. But um, but yeah, this definitely is something that needed to be watched on a big screen, loudspeakers, really go into it um, because it is a perfect movie for that. So thank you for joining us on the Black Movie Podcast. Hopefully you'll catch us in our next episode where we will be watching a movie that I don't remember the name of, but you'll see it in the podcast feed. So you'll know before I'll do. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Black Movie Podcast. Our show is edited by Mike Knight. Our theme song is by Chris Negro Justice Brown. And our logo was created by Savannah Alexander. Even if you never heard of me, just know I'm murdering. Leave all these kids with third degrees. Evidence is empirically laid out in front for you to see. I found the Trinity. Good people, we did memories. These are the only things I need.